Okay, let's begin with a prayer. Let us pray for our catechumens, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who doth continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. So I was asked if I could briefly review last week, which actually made me write things down. So in the first class, we talked about what does the word catechesis mean? It means instruction from above. Don't worry about it anymore. What does the word catechesis mean? It means instruction from above. Um, and why do we use it for this type of instruction? And it is... Um, One, it's the traditional word that we use, but two, it is, it's, we're, we're supposed to be hearing God's word through anytime someone instructs us in the church. So, um, then we talked about why will we hear so many Greek and Latin words in this course? Well, like I just mentioned, uh, everything we have in English is a translation. So, if we want to actually understand some of these words, we actually have to go and look at the Greek and Latin. Do, we, do I expect anybody to learn the Greek and the Latin? No. But you'll be familiar with it, and you'll hear that term, and, and it will jog it in your memory. Then we talked about the two kinds of things that we'll learn in this course. We can categorize as orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy being the kind of knowledge that we need to have. What is it we need to know about our faith? And orthopraxy is how do we need to practice our faith? How do we need to act and behave? Then we watched the B to B, the B to B introduction, and we talked about what the difference is between being the B and being the fly. Being the B means going around and looking for good things, and, and being the fly means going around and looking for bad things. And then we talked about what is Orthodox Christianity, and we watched the video, the B to B video, and kind of went around the room and saw if anybody could answer that question, and really none of us could in about two minutes. Um, and so hopefully we will have a better way to understand and answer that question after our time here together. So, one of the answers that we did hear sometimes is that we are the original church founded by Jesus Christ. And the question is, can we back that up? Especially with those who also claim that they're the original church founded by Jesus Christ. So, that brings us to today. Our next video is called Belief in God. If we are talking about being Orthodox Christians, we have to understand what do we believe and in whom do we believe. So we're, let's watch Steve. Steve's smiling face is here already for us. <laughs> and Steve is ready to go. So let's see. Let's see if I can back it up. Okay. Oh, he's smiling even more now. Okay. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and if we're going to talk about our Christian beliefs, we should talk about our belief in God. How do we even begin to talk about such a complex question? People believe in God for lots of reasons. Some people believe because of a book they've read. Others believe because of an experience they've had. But before we can talk about belief in God, we need to be clear about something. God isn't an it or a what. So when we're talking about belief in God, we're not talking about belief in something. We're talking about belief in someone. And that totally changes how we approach the question. Let me show you what I mean. This is not a person. It's a B2B mug. And if you're curious, I can tell you how much it weighs, how tall it is, 
and it lives in our kitchen. I can tell you facts about this mug, and then you can decide whether you believe it exists. But let's say that instead of a mug, I presented you with a friend of mine. I can tell you facts about him, what his name is, how tall he is, where he's from, and that may cause you to believe that he exists, but so what? Things like mugs and rocks and clouds are objects. We can study them and measure them and learn about them. Though our understanding only goes one way. I see and observe the mug, but the mug doesn't observe me. People, on the other hand, aren't simply objects. We're not simply things to study and measure and learn about. We're subjects. We can observe and be observed. We can understand and be understood. In other words, we're persons. Keep in mind that person does not necessarily mean human. That's why we can have the three divine persons of the Holy Trinity. As theologian Metropolitan John of Pergamon writes, the person is otherness in communion, and communion in otherness. The person is an identity that emerges through relationship. An interesting thing about persons is that we don't exist in a vacuum. A mug floating by itself through space is still a mug, but a person in isolation isn't fully a person. There is no me without you. We exist in our relationship with others. In this complex space between opening ourselves up to others and having others open themselves up to us. And, as we've said in the past episode, the most important relationship we need to become fully ourselves, fully persons, is our relationship with God. So what does all this have to do with belief in God? Well, an important Christian teaching is that God isn't an abstract force. He's not an impersonal thing that winds up the universe like a clock and then steps back to watch it go. God is personal. God is a person. Or rather, as we'll talk about next week, God is a holy trinity of three divine persons. Since God is personal, we can't talk about him and his existence as if we're talking about whether a mug exists or not. If you Google belief in God, you'll find countless articles and lists and reasons and proofs that people have come up with, and some of them are worth reading. But we can't over-rely on proofs because we're not talking about math. We can't over-rely on arguments because we're not talking about philosophy. We can't turn God into an object, a thing or an idea that we simply talk about rather than a person that we talk to. Talking about God shouldn't make us forget to commune with Him and love Him. In fact, the best theology is always done in the context of prayer and fasting and service. It's immersed in the life of the church. God is so much more than an idea that we use to justify our ideas about morality. He's so much more than a comforting thing that we use to fill the God-shaped holes in our hearts. God is personal. He can't simply be discussed. He needs to be encountered. It's definitely not easy. I mean, I've struggled with my faith. I still struggle with my faith. That struggle was really difficult when I was a teenager. And sometimes I turned to books, and while reading about the faith was interesting, it only did so much. For a long time, the faith was, for me, just an abstract idea. Years later, after a lot of struggle and distance from the church, my dad passed away. And for the first time in many years, I prayed. I went from not being interested in God at all to being really sad and angry at him. Even though he was someone I was angry with, he was still someone, rather than something. My life hasn't been the same since. If you are struggling with faith, if you're not sure that God is real, this may sound weird, but try reaching out to him. I know, trust me, I know, it's hard, but if God is real, he's a person. And if he's a person, we need to approach him personally, to encounter him. Attend the church services. 
Take time every day to put aside the distractions and open your heart to God. Make prayer a part of your life. There's no denying how hard this can be. That's why it's amazing that the church even offers a prayer for our doubt. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So let's be the bee and encounter God. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe. I'll see you all next week. Okay. Lots of stuff in here today. God is not a thing. God is a person. So we're going to talk today about what does that mean? What does it mean to be a person rather than just a thing or an object or an idea or a concept? My original idea was to go back through and, and replay portions of this. I don't think we're going to have time, but I do want to go through some of the points. So the first thing he talked about was that God is not it. It's not a what. God is not a thing, right? Uh, God is a person. And persons, we can't know by just knowing their measurements, right? How many of you have ever read in the obituaries, and it's one of the saddest things I ever see. You read in the obituaries, and they may have a picture, they may not, but their obituary is about this long. And it says they worked at so-and-so for 50 years, and this, there's a graveside service, and that's about it. Does that tell us anything about that person? Do we really know anything about that person? Just from reading facts and figures? May have their birth date, may have the date they died, may have how they died, where they died. But does that really tell us anything about that person? So God is not an it or a what, but a whom. God is not something, he's someone. He's not an object, but a subject, right? And we are not objects, we are subjects. We're not objects that can be put in a box and observed and anyone know anything about us, right? How, what's the only way to get to know anything really about a person? Spend time with them. Interact with them, right? Seek them out. What's the difficult part sometimes about doing that with God? You can't see him. And he doesn't do a lot of talking back, right? We have to figure out how to find God and how to find his response in the world. Sometimes we can, and it's easier in some times than it is in others, right? Sometimes it's very difficult to see God at work in the world. Right, But one of the things uh, he talked about was uh, he had a quote from Metropolitan John uh, Zazulis of Pergamon who is probably, if not the eminent, one of the eminent orthodox theologians of our time. And he says this, The person is otherness in communion and communion in otherness. The person is an identity that emerges through relationship. Okay? I could go on for two hours about that. 
But there's one, one word I want us to look at that's going to pop up again and again and again in our conversations, which is communion. What does this word mean? It can mean different things depending on the context, for example. We talk about communion, and what we mean is the bread and wine. Right? We talk about communion, we talk about all being in communion. We talk about churches being in communion with each other. Okay? We're, this is actually a compound word. Anybody know the two words that it comes from? Common and union. Okay. So, the two parts of that are, what's the first part? Common. Can you have, can you have communion with... <laughs> can you have communion with someone with whom you have nothing in common no because even if even if you meet a stranger for you to be in communion with them you, you have to be joined by something by something and there it are, may be that strangerness. And there are and there are degrees of communion, aren't there? Mm -hmm. Right. We'll talk about there. Are, there's full communion, especially when you talk about relations between churches mm -hmm. or or relations between someone and the church. There's impaired communion. We've heard that. Okay. So yes, even if the if the, even if the only thing you have in common is that you're both strangers in a strange land, perhaps, then you have something in common. Right? Mm -hmm. Are there any human beings on this earth with whom we have nothing in common? No. 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 Why? Because what do we all have in common? Or as human, a face? Or humanness. Our humanity. Right? What does that mean? What does humanity mean? What does humanity mean? What, what does it mean for us to be human? Is it merely a biological designation? Created in God's image. We are, okay. We are created in, created in God's image and likeness. And likeness. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to be created in God's image and likeness? We've all heard this. To be created in God's image, God is not human, right? God became human through Jesus Christ, his Son, right? But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, in essence, divine, not human, right? But yet we, as human beings, are created in God's image. And when we talk about God, how does God identify himself to us? Especially, like in the Old Testament. 
What's the word he uses? I am. Well, he uses I am. But but what's the relationship that he, he claims with us? We just talked about the three persons of the Trinity. Father. Father. Okay. So, Father. We are, we are a reflection of God's image. Yes. And likeness. Yes. Just, and like, so just like I'm not my father. You're not your father, but you are like your father. And as a father, you have fatherhood in common with him. And the perfect fatherhood is that of God for us. Right? Okay, what does it mean to be, that's God's image. What does it mean to be in his likeness? What do we as human beings have that no other... Free will. Free will. Right? God allows us to choose. Okay. Well, I, I you look you're puzzled. No, I mean in God's image and likeness. It means we have the ability to be Christ-like, but yes. is sin also part of humanity? I mean, our sin is what stops us from being in the image. Sin is when we make bad choices. Right. But right. But God gives us. If God did not give us the free will to choose, then there wouldn't be sin, but then we wouldn't be in His likeness. When He gives us the freedom to choose. That's not, uh, I forget who, who was preached about this. Freedom is not the same as license. We have the freedom to choose, but not the license to choose. So there are, we can make bad choices. And it was the initial choice of Adam and Eve in the garden that separated us from God. Which necessitated the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection to reunite us to God. And it is through... Jesus Christ, God becoming man, that we are reunited to God. Okay? Let's talk, I want to show, there's another video that they mentioned halfway through here. And um, I want to show that one here real quick. Um, because it talks about how many, how many human beings, how many, how many true human beings have there ever been in the world? One. And he talks about this. And why? Oh, look, it's Steve again. <laughs> he scares me. Hey, everybody, this is Steve, and the population of the Earth is about 7 billion people. Okay, everybody, get out your calculators. How many human beings do you think have ever existed, from Adam and Eve all the way to now? One estimate is as high as 107 billion people. But what if I told you the real answer is one. That's probably not what you were expecting, right? So let's think about it. Let's think about what it means to be a true human being. But first, let's think about grapes. You may know that grapes grow on vines. Vines grow out of the ground and split off into branches, which then produce grapes. One skinny little branch can make a lot of grapes, but only when it's connected to the vine. A branch can't survive on its own doesn't have roots. Without a vine, it begins to dry up. Slowly but surely, it dies. A branch that's broken off of a vine stops being a branch. It turns to dust. Christ used this image of the vine when talking about our relationship with him. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you 
do nothing. Without Christ, we can't do anything because we're not really ourselves. We're nothing. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we read about how God created us. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. We're all made in the image of Christ. That means to be truly ourselves, we need to be like him. To be truly ourselves, we need to be a part of him. We sometimes think of Adam and Eve as being the first human beings. But that's not exactly right. Being a true human being is about love, connection, our relationship with each other, and with God. But Adam and Eve chose separation instead of unity. We talked before about how Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It wasn't just that they ate the fruit, it was that they blamed each other for it. Eve blamed the serpent, and Adam blamed Eve and God. They blamed each other instead of taking full responsibility for their actions. They separated themselves from each other and from God. They were like branches that broke themselves off the vine. Cut off like that, they couldn't really fully be themselves. They couldn't be fully human. But in Christ, we don't see division or separation. Instead, we see true communion, true love. In Christ, we see the first true human being. Without realizing it, Pontius Pilate showed us this as he was condemning Christ to death. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. A better translation is behold the person. Because none of us had ever seen a full human being before. A real human being. We'd only seen people trying and failing to be fully human. We'd only seen dry branches broken off the vine. But we finally saw a true person in Christ. Wearing the crown of thorns, being mocked, beaten, crucified, and bearing it all with inexpressible patience and love. As Christ hung on the cross, we saw the cross for what it really is, an instrument of life rather than death. As Christ hung on the cross, we saw God for who he really is, loving, humble, our Father. As Christ hung on the cross, we saw ourselves for who we really are. Creations called to be children. Mortal beings called to be immortal. <clears throat> Branches that have life on the vine. We saw for the first time a true human being. And we learned that to be fully ourselves, to be fully human, we need to be a part of him. So let's be the bee find our true selves in Christ. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember? Okay. So, there's a couple things I want to bring up about this. One is, he talked about the when, when Pilate said, Behold the man. As I've mentioned earlier, and I mentioned it even before we started recording today, everything we have in English, in our prayer books, in our Bibles, is a translation of, of either Greek, Latin, Aramaic, something else, right? And he talked about how a better translation of Behold the Man is actually Behold the Person. And there's a reason for that. In English, we have two genders with, with regard to our language, male and female, right? 
We also can use like the word it, but not that describes again objects and things of that nature. But to talk about persons, we have male and female. All right. In the Greek, there's three. There's male, female, and neutral. Okay. The word that is used, behold the man, in Latin is ecce homo. Okay. In Greek, it's ideo anthropos. Okay. Anthropos. Where, what, what two words can you think of that use that in English? Anthropos. Anthropology. Anthropology, which is the study of man, man. right? And what is it? There's, there's a phrase that, especially if you go to the Eastern Rite. How many of y'all have been to an Eastern Rite liturgy? Okay, you'll hear sometimes in the hymns these, this strange phrase, "Thou who art the only lover of mankind." Philanthropos. Philanthropos. Right? Philos, love, anthropos, man. Right? So, philanthropy is the love of man. Right? Now, growing up, I always wanted to be a philanthropist. But God did not bless me with the finances to become the traditional kind of philanthropist that we think of. Right? But we are all called to be philanthropists because we are called to imitate Christ, and Christ was a philanthropist. Right? Philanthropos. He loved mankind. Right? One of the interesting things that you'll hear sometimes is this is the way in which the Holy Trinity was revealed to us in this order, right? God the Father came into the world and gave the commandments and the testaments and the covenant with the ark and everything else, right? Then he sent his only son. And his son then said, and I will send to you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter, right? Is that normally the order in which we encounter the Holy Trinity? No. In fact, usually it's the other way around, isn't it? Say you invite someone to church, right? Or you've been invited to a church. How many, I mean, all, all of us were at one point invited to this church. None of us, as far as I know, were born in this church. Maybe you were, I, I don't know, but... But if we've ever been invited to this to a church, what's the first thing we see or don't see? What makes us want to stay at a church? People. Community. Community. A sense of community among the people. A sense of love. A sense of fellowship. Right? Is that not the Holy Spirit at work? Right? We encounter God in community, and we encounter the Holy Spirit because we see it at work in that community, right? Then we find out what brings that community together is, is worship of the Son, right? Everyone attempting to imitate Christ. And once then we're there, then we learn about the history of the Father's work in, in salvation of mankind, right? By sending his Son, sending the Holy Spirit. Right? So, God is not a thing. God is not an object. God is not an abstract concept. There's, a couple, there's one video, there's one thing I want to also mention in there. Oh, so this word, ecce, behold. Right? Pilate presented Jesus to the people and said, behold the man. Ecce homo. 
right? When do we hear that word ekte? When do we hear behold? We just heard it. In liturgy. And what? when did we hear it? Behold the Lamb of God. Ekte agnus dei, ekte quitolis peccata mundi. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him that taketh away the sins of the world. Right? Jesus was once again being presented to us, this time as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice. All right? Sometimes in Western iconography or in like on backs of vestments sometimes, you will see an image of a lamb carrying a banner of Christ, right? A Christian banner. And that's the Lamb of God. In Orthodoxy, we don't use that image because Orthodoxy has always taught that to portray Christ as anything other than human is debasing, right? So if you see that lamb imagery, we do talk about the lamb of God because Jesus was the lamb of God. He was the, the perfect sacrifice, but we don't use that image, okay, in our iconography or in our vestments or, or anything else, okay? There's another uh, thing that was in here. Um, let me see if I can go back to it real quick because it's... Um, He's not smiling this time. I know, it's Oh, that's, that's at the end, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, this icon here. All right. This is a famous icon. It's called... Can anybody read it here? It's Onimphios. Nymphios. What does the word Nymphios mean? Right. Hmm? Is it bridegroom? Bridegroom. Right? In fact... In the Eastern Rite, in the first couple of days of Holy Week, they have the Bridegroom Mountains, and, and be named after the hymn, Behold the Bridegroom who cometh at midnight. Blessed is, and it's talking about, are we prepared to receive Christ? Right? Are, are our lamps filled with oil? Because if your lamps aren't filled with oil, you don't get to see the Bridegroom. Right? So it's talking about our preparedness to be with Christ and to, to encounter Christ. Um... So this is the bridegroom icon, but why is it, basically, if you see, he's carrying a rod and he's wearing the crown of thorns. Is that the normal attire for a bridegroom? No. But Christ, through his suffering as the bridegroom, invites the bride. Who's the bride? The church, which is? Us. Us. We are the bride, right? So this is a famous icon called um, the Bridegroom, and we could do a whole class on that, but we won't today. Um, so if you see that icon, that's that's what that is. Let's see. Where was it in here? Oh, I just want to put this up real quick, too. How many of you are here for the exaltation of the Holy Cross? Okay, um, I talk about relics. I talk about that the, there are relics of the true cross. In this church is a relic of the true cross. Anybody know where this is? Ethiopia. Close. This is in Boston. I was thinking of the Ark of the Covenant. I was thinking of the Ark of the Covenant. No, this is in Boston. This is actually the chapel at the seminary that I attended. This is the chapel of the Holy Cross. And on the altar, in a silver cross, in the middle, 
is a relic, a piece of the true cross. Okay? So, when he says, get up and go to church every morning, well, that's where I had to go. And it's quite lovely. If you're ever in Boston um, and you can stop by the campus, um, it's a beautiful place as long as you haven't had to live there for three years. So, <laughs> um, let, me, let me see what else. I was, I was putting all this into LibreOffice last night, and all of a sudden my computer went dead almost, and, or it locked up. So thank God for Google Docs. Okay, so um, back in the original video, this original video, he talked about a clockwork God. It's tempting to think of God like that sometimes, isn't it? That God just set the universe in motion and, and let it go. Right? Does anybody know what that belief is called? Deism. Deism. Right. Are we deists? No. What are we? Christians. We're Christians, but we're theists. Right? What's the difference? Well, deists, like Thomas Jefferson, believed that God created the universe, set it in motion, and then backed away. Right? But we don't believe that, do we? We believe that God interacts in the world, and he interacts with us, right? God is present throughout history, and is still present with us today, right? So one of the things that he also mentioned was people have come up with proofs for the existence of God, right? Proofs. And there, they make some great arguments, okay? Argument in the sense of a thesis or, or a theorem, not in the sense of let's argue with each other, okay? One of the important things to know in the difference, what are some of the major differences between us and those who are not Orthodox, especially the Roman Catholic Church, is back... At a certain point in time, there was a split. And I'm not talking about laying the bulls on the altar and this, that, and the, all, uh, the other and, and excommunicating each other. There was a split in thought. There was a split where there was a choice that was made on either side. Okay? In the West, they chose what we refer to as scholasticism, Right? And it's this approach where we can reason out anything. We can, for example, um, there's a book called Codex Juris Canonici. It's the Code of Canon Law for the Catholic Church. It attempts to anticipate every single possible situation that might arise and make a regulation for it. Okay? Um, that's scholasticism. That's and it leads to a legalism, and it, it leads to an over-reliance on logic and philosophy. Okay, Christianity is not dependent on logic. Christianity is not dependent on philosophy. Do we use philosophy? Yes, absolutely. We will use whatever from the rest of, of the world we can use to illustrate our faith in God and, and what we need to. So yes, we we talk about the difference between substance and essence and essence and, and or substance and accidents, right? We'll use Socrates and Plato and and all of these philosophers to explain concepts of Christianity, 
but Christianity itself is not a philosophy, okay? And we can't strictly use philosophy. Why? Because God is not an argument. God is not something that can be figured out, reasoned out. God is, as we've said, a person. And belief in God is not just, well, I accept this abstract concept, or I accept this set of rules. It is engaging in a personal relationship with God. How do we engage in that relationship? One of the things he mentioned in there was, the best theology always comes with three things. Anybody remember what they were? Prayer, fasting, and service. Prayer, fasting, and service. Are prayer, fasting, and service just things we're supposed to do to hit a checklist? No. Prayer, fasting, and service are three ways in which we interact with God. Prayer, fasting, and service are ways in which we engage in that personal relationship, right? When we engage in service and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, helping others, that's interacting with God. That's opening ourselves to God's grace. Okay? Now, here's a question for you. How many of you know atheists? Okay. How many of you know people who say, well, I'm religious, I believe, but I don't need church? Okay. If our salvation requires interacting with God, first off, let me start with the atheists. How many atheists do you know actually do not believe in God versus how many are actually anti-theists who are angry like he talked about when his father died? They're not atheists, right? Because they believe in God, they're just really, really angry with him. And so they say, oh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Yes, you do, because you're angry at him. <laughs> you're interacting with him, right? There are actually people who legitimately have a, a, a intellectual belief that there is no God. But most of the people you, that you and I run into that claim they're atheists, something happened in their lives. A lot of them used to believe, and in fact, many of them the angrier they are is because they were the most active in the church. Right? But they're not atheists. They're anti-theists. And they're still interacting with God, even though they don't want to admit it. They're just interacting with him really, really badly. Right? Okay. Finally, the last thing I want to cover is, um, he talked about... Yes. But there are a lot of atheists, especially when I grew up in Holland, there are a lot of atheists or agnostics. Yes. Which is they've never heard of God. It doesn't even cross their mind. That's right. They didn't grow up with it. Exactly. They actually do a lot of good. There are. And I will not doubt that for a second. So. That, okay. That makes it complex sometimes. It is. And where does that come from? That goodness. I've talked about this. Well, okay. So. That goodness may come from, all goodness comes from where? From whom? God. God, right? 
This is a phrase that you'll see every once in a while. Types and shadows. Do we believe that the Orthodox Church is the only repository of the truth? No. Do we believe that the Orthodox Church is the repository of the fullness of the truth? Yes. Yes. But does that mean that others are not without truth in some way, shape, or form? Okay. We can point to other religions, like, for example, uh, Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. <laughs> glad, you, glad you picked an easy one. Okay. There are many things Zoroastrianism has in common with Christianity. Right? Are there elements of the truth in Zoroastrianism? Yes. Do they possess the fullness of the truth? No. Okay. Can people come across the truth without knowing its name? Yes. What did, okay, remember when Paul went to... Because they're still created beings. Because they're still created beings in the image and likeness of God. Whether they know it or whether not. Whether they know it or not, or whether, as atheists, they want to admit it or not. At least if they're agnostics, they're still acknowledging, hey, maybe there's the possibility. They haven't rejected it outright. All right? But there are atheists who are... Um, oh, that's... Okay, so i got to wrap this up. So, um... <laughs> So there are atheists who have come to the church. There are agnostics who come to the church, right? There are people who leave the church to become atheists. We talked about that. They something they hate God, right? So, um, do do people who are outside the church do good things? Mm -hmm. Yes. Why? Because they're still made in the image and likeness of God, even though they don't realize it. Now, is that because there is an innate goodness in humanity? As some of them, want, as humanists want to claim, no. The only goodness that comes in humanity is that is part of humanity is because we are made in the image and likeness of God. It's nothing innate in ourselves without God, right? So yes, atheists do good things. I will not. I will not dispute that one second. But the question sometimes you have to ask them is why? Well, it's because human beings. No, we're not. You put two human beings starving, yes? So there's only been one human being, and he was. And he was perfect. So, saying that all, is there... We, all the rest of us are trying to be human beings. Okay. okay. Which brings me to the point of the people who say, well, I'm religious, but I don't need the church. Hmm. Who are those people like? We talked about the vine. They're like the branches, breaking themselves off, right? <coughs> Where do we encounter God? We encounter him every day, but where do we really focus on encountering him? Here. With each other. Right? Because we're trying to connect back on that vine. We're trying to connect back to God. At least we all have that in common. It is what brings us into communion. Right? So for someone to say, well, I don't need the church, well, that's them breaking themselves off and not interacting with anyone, okay? I'm sorry, you can sit and watch Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn on TV all day, and you're not going to be interacting with God. Well, because when, I, when I've actually seen uh, a lot of friends of mine, that, that kind of sort of works for them, because they grew up in the church and have a lot of knowledge and still keep on praying, but then their children 
it's, it's, it's a VP break of the branch, and mm -hmm. it kind of looks good for a while. Mm -hmm. so it looks, yeah. Kids yeah, you think you can keep up that illusion for a while, just like if you break off a branch. It's going to live for a while, right? That's especially happening in Europe, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Vine. Yeah, the vine's shattered. But, you know, that's exactly what, so, what Eve did, was say that we don't need to follow God's command because if yes. we eat of this tree, we can be... We can be without God. Mm -hmm. And that's sin, is, is whenever we think we can do without God, that's sin. When we put ourselves at the center of the universe instead of God, what's that sin called? Pride. Pride. That's why it's the worst. And, a lot, and, and all the other sins can like derive from that. It's putting us first. So, any questions? We're kind of out of time. I went 25 minutes over, but I wanted... Any questions for today? <laughs> Next week we'll take up the Holy Trinity. In one, in one day.